2: The intergalactic planetary, planetary intergalactic set controls for deep, deep space, my friends. Welcome to episode 143. This is Alan Averill, your hostess with very much the leastest. But transmitting from a galaxy far, far away, somewhere lost in space, every other cliche you could possibly imagine... Um, Well, today's episode, and the reason I am unveiling all of these uh, scientific sci-fi cliches is because I'm chatting with Paul from Blood Incantation. Strap yourselves in because it gets pretty juicy, gets pretty tasty, gets pretty uh, crazy, gets pretty, I don't know, um, science fiction-y, is that a word? Well, it is now been a while since I did an interview and hopefully now I'm going to have a a series of interviews coming up, get back into the swing of things. I didn't do a Tuesday heavy metal podcast, just didn't seem right maybe. Felt you all needed a little bit um, um, less of me in your life, but a lot of things happening on the primordial front, a lot of things happening on the musical front. Just dropped a song from um, another new band that I was working on during lockdown called Verminous Serpent. Primordial announced a big tour for the end of the year. Uh, so I will. I think I'll address all of those next Tuesday, um, on Tuesday's heavy metal miscellany. But today is um, yeah, it's a cool interview, very very cool interview. Um, it's uh, over on my YouTube channel. Just search my name, you'll find the channel. Um, it's there as a video cast as well. You can see me and Paul in our uh, matching—well, not really matching, but our Morbid Angel demo shirts. Are you jelly yet? Yeah, you are. I can tell. Well. Who the F are Blood Incantation? Well, Blood Incantation are one of the newest rising death metal bands the last 10 years. They've really captured a sort of underground sort of zeitgeist of sort of... Um, it's kind of old school, new school death metal. It's definitely will satisfy you if you're into 90s Nile and Morbid Angel and stuff. But they... Somehow have um, captured the imagination of uh, the younger of the death metal fans among us. But don't be a cranky old C-U-N-T uh, like I was about the band who kind of went, Oh, I don't like the cover of that Hidden Histories album. Uh, not sure about that. Just submit and have a go because it's a fucking great band. And Paul is a top guy. And it was a great chat. God damn it. I'm too positive for my own good this Friday. I may have to do something to redress that balance well my friends episode 143 of agitators anonymous let's get into it a chat with paul from blood incantation all right, Morbid all right. Angel, go on tell me that tell me what you just told me one more time all right it's allegedly the
1: wayne heart Soul special uh, made by the thy kingdom come drummer um conflicting stories but the two the two prevailing ones are that he made it either right during or right after uh the recording when he was kicked out before they got uh richard or uh pete and uh he made it to like recoup allegedly on some of his funds because some guy on t-shirt slayer was like i was buddies with this guy and he said he put up the money for this recording and he never got paid by the band or whatever so he made them recoup or whatever wow it's really wow. shitty i'll show you to the the back hey, of yeah it. yeah
2: show it show it to me. i need like to see it's this blurry. okay all right it's really shitty but it's what's it's the, the, what's the little goofy design on the uh, underneath the logo
1: there's a little demon guy all
2: right it's yeah I mean it's cool in a kind of awful kind of way yeah exactly but mine comes from um, actually originally it's um, it's just a cover of that kingdom come
1: oh yes yeah. it's,
2: it's a white one it's originally came from Neil from cacophonous records ah. Um, the English label who released the first Primordial album and Cradle of Filth and all that kind of thing. I can't say that yeah. I got it I got it in 87, but he got it in 87 and somehow it passed via mutual friend to me somewhere around about 94, 95, I so I squeezed into my corset here trying to... Um, oh, no, it's
1: great. It it's looks just sick. As,
2: And just as an aside, why the fuck isn't that the cover of Alters of Madness? It always fucking bugs me because I don't uh, like the cover of of Madness. I don't
1: I, I don't know. I think, uh, I don't know. I think at the, at the time, I guess, I watched on your other, uh, on your Morbid Angel pod- version of the podcast, and uh, I was wondering the same thing, because, you know, they have it as the insert. They use it on all the shirts. It's like, you know, it's certainly pretty iconic. Yeah. But maybe man. because at the time they were like, we had a demo already, the seven inch version of the demo. Now, you know, yeah, yeah. it's established. So maybe they wanted to have something a little more eye catching. I don't know.
2: Um, i mean, because it even even when I was like an, an annoying little um, fucking know-it-all teenager the um Man has always kind of bugged me the cover sort of got under my skin because of the the little faces reminded me of what's that never-ending story or something
1: oh yeah some of them are kind of goofy for yeah. sure and, um, I like it but you know I do think that the demo cover is more insane also the abominations cover is crazy
2: yeah and certainly 14 year old 15 year old me didn't want goofy
1: yeah, absolutely.
2: So, anyway, now that we've got the morbid angel check taking care of, what do you want to talk about?
1: <laughs> Whatever you like. Yeah, I'm not. I'm fine. Whatever you need. All you got to do is go to the post office today.
2: So. Well, tell me something, right? Um, I couldn't. I'm not going to say that I started off with you guys on the first album or the second album, um, or nothing. I no. I started with the hidden histories, but mainly it was first the cover that sort of, kind of made me curious and bugged me, but I liked it at all at the same time
1: that's a good response
2: it sort of made me quite conflicted but yet at the same time because so many people were talking about it i think i was just like i'm not i'm not sure when I'm, what am i going to do listen to this band and then i listened to it and i was like okay yeah i'm into this but with right. the intention with the cover sort of manages to cover a few bases of responses i th- i guess people either love it or hate it right
1: yeah we provoked that response pretty pretty standard uh with people um uh, it's kind of been one of the things um back in 2011 when isaac and i first started jamming wh- one of the things we really liked was um like kind of antigon antigua uh, instigating antagonizing type of like con- not controversial but uh you know bands like later gore guts specifically obscure from wisdom to hate or like okay. like kathy Aflame, uh like kathy Flame is a perfect example love it or hate it stargazer uh later death you yeah. know even later morbid angel because there's a lot of people who are like only 80s morbid angel and then people are like i only like you know from formulas on or covenant on or whatever but we've always really appreciated bands that are like take it or leave it you know because that's the quickest way to get to the lover or hate it type of thing you're not cultivating something for somebody you're saying this is what it is this is what we're doing this is why we're doing it uh you're happy to be on board that's great you don't want to be on the boat totally fine Boat's still going doesn't matter at all and so we initially actually uh in 2012 going into 13 uh we wrote this song from the first album called hidden species which is mm-hmm. like kind of the more proggy track it has like a krat rock part where we repeat the yeah, same yeah. part 16 bars and has all these delay sounds and shit and originally when we had that written we had recorded the demo interdimensional extinction in 2013 but it didn't come out until 2015 because of a bunch of uh production problems but during the waiting period we wrote these other songs that ended up being for star spawn and we would show rehearsals of these more proggy tracks to our our friends and be like do you think that uh, we should do this for blood and Condition now or should isaac and i start like a meditation themed like tibetan book of the dead dmt yeah, yeah. psychedelic band and they're like you should definitely start a new band don't don't ruin what you got going and we're like great we're going to do it ex- for to this- be big album don't worry
2: yeah and, I, mean, I, I mean that makes sense to me because I, I watched your what's in my bag you know the amoeba thing which i thought must be one of the most sort of uh open minded but quite um i mean it really sort of gave me a good pointer to the 70s things you were taking because when I first listened, I wasn't sure I was hearing can or, you know, Krautrock or that kind of thing. And then when you said it, I was like, Oh yeah, okay. I can hear that. But I have a, I have a, a sort of observation, which might, you might find odd, which is actually down my notes here, but you, the time wave zero thing. Um, cause I, Oddly enough, the entire black metal scene of the early '90s tried to get hold of Klaus Schultz and Tangerine Dream. Records.
1: Absolutely, absintronimus literally yeah. died listening to Klaus Schulz Cyborg. It is yeah, yeah. like Neptune Towers, obviously Burzum. Everybody likes this, the German electronic music, and it's honestly. It's just because we're blood incantation that people got so upset about it. If we'd been a black metal band or a funeral band or whatever, you know, corrupted ambient records, it's, it's completely normal. It's just because we're blood incantation.
2: That's weird. That's kind of weird, isn't it? Because as soon as I heard it, it made sense to me at being, I I remember reading, actually I wrote a letter or two back then, maybe 91, 92, and Euronymous was in my fanzine of what, I don't know, 93 or something like this. But you could read Mayhem interviews everywhere, and it was like Tangerine Dream, Klaus Schultz. And then I started to see the vinyls for like two pounds and stuff in the early 90s and collected them all, but didn't really have any connection to, I suppose, Can and stuff. That came a bit later for me to try and understand that sort of stuff, um, just having no connection to it. But the whole black metal scene were trading tapes of like you'd get a tape of like Unholy and the other side would be the Black Dance or something. you know.
1: Oh yeah, I would love a tape like that. I might yeah, have you- to make one.
2: <laughs> yeah but so the time timeway zero thing it's quite interesting because it hit a few people in the black metal scene um as making total sense and especially made more sense when i saw your the amoeba thing you know the what's in my bag stuff. It was like oh okay this makes way more more sense you know
1: well you know uh conrad schnitzler from cluster yeah. uh made the mayhem death crush intro yeah, and he was the- like waiting outside his house being like please yeah. give me anything and he gave this honorary kid a tape and was like please leave me alone you know yeah yeah I mean? how it's weird like,
2: how weird is that
1: yeah it's it's dedicated dude like we've been trying to tell people i mean time wave is obviously <clears throat> an eccentric passion project but it's also an anthropological um connection it's like a nexus where we're trying to say this these two seemingly disparate movements subcultures genres whatever you want they are physically linked. It's not just that they look cool, sound cool, same time periods. They are physically connected by some of the most infamous players in both scenes. You know, yeah. Conrad Schnitzler, Tangerine Dream, you know, obviously Mayhem. Like All this all this stuff is so connected. And yet, at least the last you know, 10, 15 years, people on the internet don't seem to really realize that they were not just physically writing each other with a copy of Unholy and Klaus Schultz and said that they were physically going to these people's houses and being like i need you to be on my thing you know yeah i mean
2: it, it, i remember um say for example hanging out with um say when dara from evictus came up in 93 or something um to hang out the first time in my house um and pulling out like cloud children and tangerine and dream records when it got to 2 3 or 4 am when we were discussing the finer points of satanism or whatever we were discussing he would be like what the fuck is this and i'm like this is the shit that uranus has been putting into interviews and it kind of, yeah, it it, uh, broke everyone's brain a little bit, but then through that we started to kind of look into, I mean, that sort of, that was what gave me a sort of more bigger appreciation, not first of Krautrock, but also of electronic music as well, you know, it made me kind Mm -hmm. of much more appreciative of everything from, um, you know, craft work all the way to, I suppose, you know, taking off the shackles for a Depeche Mode and all that kind of stuff. Yeah
1: it's it's all connected in a lot of the stuff a lot of the spirit of like the late 80s early 90s as far as like you know tape trading this really diy prominent culture where people are trying to you know screen print covers for yeah. a release you know faust did that in 1971 you know what yeah. i mean like the, a lot of these things they stem from even uh <clears throat> sex pistols guy john lyden is like you know I just wanted to be in Noi, you know what I mean, because it was so repetitious and so monotonous and so anti anti commercial, uh, truly underground art motivated DIY music. And you know that's if that's not what the underground metal scene essence truly is, I don't know what is. You know what I mean? So.
2: Yeah, and also I was a kind of a a latecomer to Hawkwind as well, and they seem to be the sort oh, yeah. of- Obviously, sword. everyone loves
1: Motorhead, but it's like you get yeah. you guys know these are phys- this physically touching. It's not yeah. just for buddies; like they're physically related, you know.
2: Yeah, and specifically the bridge between I think rock and that kind of electronic, that sort of pulsing kind of sound, you know. Also,
1: it doubles down because the Hawkwind thing and all these festivals they would have these free these free music fests out at Stonehenge and stuff like that in the seventies. Yeah, and was there. Yeah, and, you yeah. You know, those guys were all hanging out with the Hawkwind people, doing drugs, partying at Stonehenge. Yeah. These guys go down there, they send records to Kronos and Venom is like, thanks for the sound, we'll rip you off, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. They send stuff to uh, Tom Gabriel Warrior, they send stuff to Discharge, like all this stuff is related and then from the Discharge and Mob 47 and stuff, you get the Napalm death, you get the fucking extreme grindcore, it's like it's, you wouldn't have all these legendary cold death metal albums if you didn't have mm. crust punk anarcho-punk grind kraut rock prog 70s experimental art music you know
2: yeah yeah oh you can certainly <clears throat> connect, you can certainly connect amoebics to all that kind of stuff and, and as you say uh it spreads out uh, oddly enough primordial made two albums in a uh, full studios in wales that was owned by the guy who replaced lemmy and hawkwind oh shit. uh dave anderson cool studio yeah, full studio, old studio with like crazy old old gear downstairs in Wales, in the valleys in Wales. Um, and Dave, we got loads of great stories out of Dave about and from the 70s and everything. Oh, hell yeah. But but in the um, in the old analog uh, kind of like cupboard, let's say, were all the Van de Graaff Generator albums and stuff. And I'm oh, cool hell stuff yeah. Because like he played on, I think, Van de Graaff Generator 2. He played the bass oh. on that um so didn't know that must be seven unless i've got it wrong it must be 77 78 you know
1: yeah 77, 76, 77
2: he's an interesting dude he told me that he was asked to join alice cooper and turned it down because he didn't like the name the alice Cooper band, it was way in the early 70s Damn. and then he was asked to join black sabbath which was after Born Again for the L.A. glam rock years and kind of went, oh, Whoa, not, really, not really into that. I'll just stay in the valleys in Wales. I'm not going to, uh, on for a cocaine odyssey in L.A. with Glenn Hughes, yeah. Tony Iommi.
1: <laughs> in another life, you know. In another life. I- some, some parallel world he's out there telling this story in reverse.
2: It's interesting that, yeah, well, that's a, that's true. It's, it's interesting, though, that, like, um, I, in some ways I find that maybe like like I said I was watching the amoeba in uh in my bag thing and it was really uh quite struck by how uh profoundly positive obviously all the comments were but people from mainly who weren't into death metal going like holy shit this is this what really what death metal people are like you know
1: well you know uh again back to the old days you know people like Trey you know thanking it seems obvious but like Jimi hendrix and anya and stuff like that you know disembowelment thinking brian eno and harold budd and, and you know it's it's really i've always believed that metal people like a sufficiently adept metal musician can play almost any genre of normal person music and i think it's because you know people say that you know metal arrangement and is kind of analogous to classical music arrangement and stuff like that this grandiose linear songwriting type of stuff it's not as uh like verse chorus here or whatever but um shit who's on my train of thought well what do you, you
2: think, think? What, do you know. think is the, what do you think is the division then between how um let's say the kind of you know the usual 12 bar blues influence that came into rock music that comes from rock um, and then you've got the classical music on the other side like what's where does it somehow meet in the place where something the like the 70s they had
1: the 70s yeah. hard rock prog proto metal like uh they, they would a, a band um you know a band like Camel or a band like Griffin or a band like uh you know any of uh, Steve Hackett's bands or these dudes where they like you know they play heavy rock music based on these blues progressions but then they go off into that Canterbury sound where it's like kind of regal and and has that kind of pompous you know Britishness on it and, and like you know they they have a uh, these really ornate arrangements, this orchestral prog, symph- like symphonic prog, basically, is, I think, the meeting point of these two things, because it's it has to be heavy. It has to have the driving bass and the kick drum and make you bob your head. But then it has this really grandiose um, atmosphere of all these strings and, you know, clavinets and stuff like that. Mm. And again, that gets back to the crazy 70s progressive uh, music scene, which, you know, goes from. For instance a dude like steve hillage um going from the canterbury scene con egg and then being in uh like gong and all these other dudes going into these like crazy psychedelic freak out stuff that are like clearly obsessed with can or completely obsessed with crowd rock and then he also made stuff like green or rainbow dome music where it's like he's making meditative ambient stuff you know and he's still out there now he's fully electronic him him and his wife was just seven like they're they're still out there putting out records even 2023 probably coming out
2: so, so so what are you going to do you're going to move uh, i mean to me it makes perfect sense to have the split between the death metal the incantation and the time wave zero uh, blood incantation but are you gonna are they gonna start to merge in, into each other a bit you're gonna try and keep it oh, separate,
1: or what <laughs> no no uh, we uh, we did time wave uh right after hidden history to establish these two polarities and so now we have this huge gulf between these two pillars of of seemingly disparate ideas and we're actually we're working right now on integrating them for the next album hmm. and it's going to be basically kind of the epicness of of like the b-side of hidden history like a sidelong prog sweet track uh but mixed with the uh, heavy kind of not sludgy but like the doomy atmospheric of star spawn stuff but then all tied together with the synths on top uh so it's actually gonna be the first record we record um to a click track uh so that we can sync up the midi because right now we use samplers morris and jeff run the samplers and isaac used to run it from the drums but he's got too much going on now we got jeff and morris both running some samplers and uh it's it's fine none of the samples have to necessarily be on the beat so it can create like an amorphous soundscape which is totally cool um and it plays into the backing track of like the ambient music we set up with and break down with and stuff um but we've also been doing for five or six years now and people are still like wait a minute ambient you know but uh so once we do the the next album to the click it can be like you know like nile or cynic or something samples come out on top of the riff in key and the the, isaac's keeping the the tempo and then we still have the samplers up front to keep it from sounding totally rigid Mm. and then you know we it's uh, we're actually just the last practice uh, we were working on trying to integrate this thing. Cause the thing is like um recording a sample on a looper that you physically play first and then playing it, yeah, it's bound to everybody get off a little bit. But yeah. if if we had like in your monitors and there's a click track and Morris plays the looper pedal to the click and then starts the loop, everyone will still be synced up, even though he, he played it and now it's a sample, but he did start playing it yeah. first. So it's I, gonna be a lot of stuff like that.
2: Have you ever and, been on tour uh, with um,
1: Uh We've not, no. Remember, uh, we did give them uh an advanced rough mix promo cd of star spawn when they came through denver yeah um like seven or eight years seven years ago and we gave them like a little bag of like some some demos and a cdr you know, obviously they just threw it on the bus or left it out back or whatever but because one day I, we, like, we tried to you know yeah yeah it, you know?
2: Oh, no, it's because i worked on a tour once with nile um just as a roadie or whatever and it was when carl was first integrating uh, i think playing the samples and i just remember now i'm i'm fucking luddite you know um but i just remember him having so many pedals and when he would hit something uh, yeah it's like a computer the, yeah
1: it, the computer it's was like coming a full in. desktop
2: yeah and that's what he was just Super beginning incredible. with on that tour and then playing different samples with his feet while playing other loops and other pedals and just watching him from the side was just like this makes my fucking head yeah,
1: hurt we're trying to i don't like i already have to do some tap dancing with my own pedal board and the vocal <laughs> pedal and stuff like that and then yeah. you know morris is doing his with the lead stuff and the sampler jeff doesn't even have frets and he's still got a sampler isaac's going all crazy but we do want to make it more like a really overwhelming set like a performance soundscape you know where you're just yeah. like dude how is so much sound coming from four people and yeah. uh I mean, we don't want to rely too much on the backing tracks, but we want we want to up the production value. So it's more of a, yeah. a good presentation.
2: So what this means is that in a year's time, because at, uh, m- people won't realize this, but we share the same sound man, shout out to Nikos. And oh, hell yeah.
1: That's right. We, we do that. That's right.
2: Yeah, in a year's time, we're just going to hear, hear more stories about how professional blood inc- incantation are compared to how uh, unprofessional and sloppy we
1: are. Well, he'll probably be we, like- you get he's, worse, he's, we seem
2: to be going moving like this way. You know? we'll
1: probably probably be like they can't even figure out their computer <laughs> <laughs>
2: if that's the problem where with us it's kind of like well you know where are they when the sound you know say crew on the stage you're like this banner is supposed to be here checking amps and then you're like ringing everybody and going, oh, I'm still in bed. I don't know. That's where we're at. You know?
1: Oh, yeah. No, he's but, got us. He's got us drawn pretty tight around his finger. He's like, guys, time to wake up. He's always like, B.I., guys, it's time to go.
2: <laughs> you know. Of course. Yeah. But it must be pretty satisfying because if you think about, I think, the kind of commercial... Physical sale copy of Death Metal is like the end of the 90s, early 2000s. I remember being told by lots of different bands and people, you know, b- bands were able to do 30, 40, 50,000 in the USA and in Europe, and bands were doing really well. And then it sort of collapsed a bit, and I remember talking to bands like Immolation, Incantation, Suffocation, who were just like, there is no point to her in America somewhere in the mid 2000s, late 2000s. It seems like it's picked oh, yeah. up a bit. It seems like it's oh, picked yeah. up. But you're one of the few bands that have sort of Emerged over the last ten years, and sort of, it's been interesting to watch the, you know, the kind of residual movement, the sort of kind of creep of the band's name up and up further in bills, and I hear like, oh, there's more and more people coming to shows, and the monthly listeners keep growing up. So that must be a kind of um, a really interesting and satisfying thing to observe. I've just observed it from the, you know, the peripherally, but obviously, but it's um, because Death Metal seemed sort of like a done deal commercially fourteen yeah, 40 I mean... years ago.
1: It's especially weird for me, uh, because you know I've been in bands for twenty years now, twenty one actually, and you know, in the late two thousands, the the repugnant album and Camos or Camos from Sweden, they were like the yeah. first bands to ever play like old school 80s style early nineties death metal, and it yeah. was like really uncool. This is before, like you know, the Swedish death metal book or or Choosing Death, and it's like when you know we've talked to the mo guys and stuff as well and like when you're going on tour in in 2004 or yeah. eight you no know, you're, yeah. you're playing 30 people in yeah. an a-market city like new york or chicago la or whatever because yeah. it was just not cool the scene was yeah. i was just thinking about this in the shower uh the scene was just dominated with like death core and like yeah. kind of like jokey porno grind like death like slammy stuff yeah, yeah. For, totally, you know, yeah. whatever there wasn't like any like you know dark Underground kind of atmospheric type stuff, um, and then in, in the late 2000s, it started. It came back and was yeah. like you know old old school death metal, Swedish death metal, all these demo reissues. They did the nihilist comp in like 2005 or something, mm. and you know it was also at that time. You know I was a teenager and like I had Altars of Madness and like early carcass and stuff like that, but I straight up wouldn't even touch blessed or the sick or anything i didn't listen to any other morbid angel except for thy kingdom come abominations okay. and <clears throat> from when i was like 15 until probably 25 yeah and i was working at a record store in 2012 and i got a copy of formulas that was put on on vinyl for the first time in 2011 and it was down there in the dead stock because nobody wanted it
2: yeah
1: i was like this looks amazing like it's like a love or hate thing kind of where you're like this is so bad but so awesome looking and the <laughs> song titles are great yeah. and like the, the long songs and i was like this is i gotta give this a chance and also it's a three-piece it's a just yeah. it's just like covenants record is a three-piece so it's really really cool powerful you can you can really hear trey in this yeah. record you know yeah what yeah I mean?
2: this is this that album should be just called trey's revenge yeah,
1: yeah. yeah it really should it, and it's fucking so cool man and so then i was like you know what between alters and uh, formulas, there's a sound that I would really like to do, and that was in 2011. So I was yeah. like, let's just start a band where we kind of like, we get this, you know, every Gorguts record is good. I think yeah, yeah. every Death record is good. And I think Morbid has like really nice, you know, we call it the gorbit Angel Guts riffs because these Gorguts like, you know, formulas obscure us. Yeah, yeah. <clears throat> like, yeah. Steve Myrtle Steve had a lot of these riffs when in his old band Purelands as well. And you can actually hear when steve hurtle joined gore after erosion of sanity was recorded but before their tour in europe in 93. Okay. uh he, he you can hear it in this old band this um That French band, Amaimon or Améon, split CD with with Pure Lance. There's a song called there called Sinking into Transparency that I would bet money changed Luke LeMay's life because he was like, I have to get this guy in my band. But it's it's similar to this Formulas style of like twisting, sludgy, psychedelic kind of fucked up stuff. And also Formulas has songs, several songs that were written in the 80s. And I have a couple bootlegs of... um, it's called Third Gig on Headache Records. I took out the And uh, they play a song at the time called Morbid Angel. And yeah. it opens with the intro riff of Immortal Rights and then becomes Invocation of the Continual One oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. in
2: 1986, man. Yeah,
1: 1985, yeah. 86. And it, it, it's like an eight or 11 minute song in the 80s, man. Yeah, so yeah, we yeah, basically exactly. were like, that's the ticket, man. Like Psycho, you know not antagonistic but just you know confident in its own right for the sake of its own eccentricity there's weirdo death metal and especially in 2010-11 that was totally uncool. No, like the only cool death metal in and the, Then, like, it was Dead Congregation, Necros Christos, Cruciamentum, Grave Miasma. Yeah, yeah, yeah. These yeah, dudes, yeah. you know, uh Excoriate from Germany, the Pre yeah, band. Yeah. Like, yeah, these were dudes good, yeah. were the only cool bands, you know what I mean? Playing sick, sick death metal. And they,
2: and strangely enough, I think they, well, not really strangely, but they kind of had a foot also in black metal and the aesthetics of yeah, black yeah. metal. And I, I mean, I remember like in about 90 two or something death metal seemed like a done deal to me covenant was the one album that sort of you know punched back for death metal but by 91 92 i was only interested in master's hammer and blasphemy and barrett and also the first all that first wave of black metal worship him and stuff just seemed to totally take death metal's crown and it lost it for years and then this kind of as you say this specifically that kind of um let's go back to that sort of 89 evil death metal yeah. with the black metal scene it was like the when black the lines were blurred you know <laughs> yeah that's what you want which actually have you heard the,
1: our buddies black curse have you heard this band black curse they have a record called endless wound it's on sepulchral voice
2: no no i haven't yet no no man
1: you got to check this out dude yeah. it is like their whole the thomas's marketing campaign is all about back in the day uh like <laughs> joined in darkness between worlds without end for those who have drawn down the moon like yeah, you yeah. know the lines were blurred and it's yeah, just yeah. total oral like atmospheric blasphemous evil and it's played with rippingness and 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 there's riffs and you know because a lot of um, more bestial or kind of like goatee type of stuff you can't really hear the, the riffs it's more about the energy the atmosphere whatever but with the black curse record you can you can hear the riffs and it's played with it's like death metal heaviness and brutality played with black metal ferocity. Um and totally unhinged vocalists. Uh it's Eli from Spectral Voice, the drummer vocalist, but he plays guitar and vocals in Black Curse. And uh I think you'll really dig it. It's like if NecroVore or Titan Blood swallowed the hair had all fucking died in a pit. It's yeah, yeah. fucking it's sick, man. It's sick.
2: Well, it's it's kind of interesting that the kind of, like Necros Christos for me would have always been, had that one foot more in that kind of true death metal, but sort of with the aesthetic of black metal rolling around with it. But it is amazing to see now, again, thankfully, sort of traditional death metal bands playing with newer bands with echoes of the same thing, been able to pull, it seems, two, three, four, five hundred people in the States. Like, what is it like for you I now think. to tour the States?
1: Uh pretty nice. Uh we have been very lucky and Blood Incantation has been playing predominantly sold-out shows for like eight years. Um, only really getting bigger. Even when our, our first like total DIY shows where we're playing to like a you know, hundred, two hundred people or whatever, those would it's some shitty bar, it would still be sold out with only a couple three bands playing on the floor type of stuff. And then you know, starting in I guess 2018 is when we did our first tour with we were with Demolish. Um, oh yeah, okay. And it's our first U.S. tour since like 2006 or something like that. Okay. And it was like we finally got to play like you know four or five hundred cap venues. You know some of them we like we played this place in Tennessee that was like a set up karaoke bar where we had to do merch next to the recycling dumpster outside. Okay. Um, but <laughs> in general, it's only been capping out, and then we have to like you know get a new routing or booking agent or somebody that can be get us into the next spot because it's like personally i think a sold out show is as cool as the next guy but i'd way rather play a bigger venue with less people in it and have fewer kids outside that are like Fuck, anybody got a ticket you know yeah it's sold out at you know 400 or 500 cap and like
2: a um, very interesting um development considering where death metal was as, as we said in 2004 yeah. five or six well, how was the knock-on effect then from say younger fans who are getting into you guys are they also shown out for an incantation show three weeks later or like it's it, hard to say i mean
1: the eye is, is different because we do have a lot of fans or who are not traditional death metal fans yeah that's what you i was get trying a lot to get of, you get a lot of people who come and are like i don't really like you know kind of like normal style tough guy death metal but i really like hidden history so i'm going to come see this band yeah. but also you know half the kids out there are wearing classic shirts and like you know there's there's 50 instagram accounts selling you know, vintage shirts for hundreds of dollars. So like yeah. it's definitely in vogue to be into classic death metal right now. But because I think
2: mm. or sorry. No, 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 no,
1: go on. I was just gonna say I think that part of part of the, the success for, for a band like BI is that um we don't have our nose in the air towards either of these camps. We like people who like normal people music if they think hidden history is cool. And we like people who only want to listen to Necrovore bootlegs. And it's yeah. like we have all of those records and more, and we make the music that sounds yeah. as it does because we, you know, we like to combine Eloy with Morbid Angel, or you mm-hmm. know, Floyd with like Kathy Flame, or like even Gorguts and Death, or Death and Morbid Angel, you sure. know, like we like to just mix it up. And so, part of the reason we made Time Wave also was to be like, no, we're serious, this mm-hmm. is not, we, we are not just a a death metal band for death metal's sake if you like true death metal there's lots to like in blood incantation yeah, sure. i yeah. think but i also understand a lot of dudes it's yeah, too well, crazy you know
2: here we are it's one of the reasons why we're talking i mean i know i'm 47 years old you know so <laughs> it, that's it, not
1: that old i'm 35
2: yeah. okay so. but it's in, what's interesting for me is because like, exactly blood incantation kind of i have friends of mine who've mentioned your name to me who would never in a million years know fucking deicide, deicide or something like this. But also then I played the band for like, you know, old school, died in the world guys who are like, oh yeah, okay. I grudgingly admit this is pretty good. And it's very similar And to a place where Power Trip sat, you know? Yeah, yeah. I was was resistant to them. But then again, I liked Cryptic Slaughter, Ludacris, DRI. And then the riffs, and I was like, yeah, okay, I get it. And also like Eternal Champion within the true metal scene. You're like, I'm like... You know, I, I went to see them here, and there was like you know punks and everything there, and you're like, you guys aren't into sabotage, but
1: yeah, yeah. Every but scene, the music appeals to them, you know, like they. But can every feel scene the needs, energy.
2: every scene needs some reinvention because otherwise, specifically subcultures and countercultures, they just they're I think they're aging profoundly, especially post-pandemic and lockdown. Where I've I've played some shows and been to some shows, and you're like, is everyone here between forty and fifty five? You know. You know,
1: interestingly, uh, so we noticed that as well, especially in the States, you know, mm. Um I'm 35 now, but when I was 20, most of the people at the show were 20, except yeah, exactly. for like the, the, the cool dude in the back, like, you're like, that guy was in dystopia or something, you know, like yeah. you know, some old old school guy in the back. And then it, as, as we've gotten older, because um, I've been touring since 2007, and uh, my first record came out in 2006. And uh, my first band show was in two thousand two, so like I, you know, it's like as I've been growing, I've seen the sound or the the scene kind of changing around these different different. You know, first there was the retro thrash, pizza thrash, and then there's yeah, like, yeah. Yeah. black metal, and there's all this other stuff, big Ant beard doom, and all that stuff. Yeah. i've I've participated in a lot of these things and a lot of my old records are like really raw black metal or like really crushing doom and stuff um actually your brother uh, mr bones and i were supposed to do a split back like 15 years ago all right in my old band moon yeah we were like yeah 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 Yeah. and we were supposed to do a three-way split back in the day but i was too retarded to make anything happen but (laughs) check it out so just just on this subject on this last tour we did in we did two European tours this summer, or I guess last summer now, and that was the first time BI got to tour Hidden History because the album came out right before the pandemic. And then we yeah, just kind of I know. through um, and we had not been in Europe since 2018. And so between the ages of or the years of 18 and 22, oh, yeah. with the pandemic and this album and this resurgence of all these bands, there's a lot of death metal bands formed in 2018 and 19. It was like really a huge thing. But We noticed specifically in like Scandinavia, uh, we played in in Norway and Sweden, and there was literally like 11, 12 year old kids because it's all ages with the Guardian or whatever. And so we were playing to the most feverish insane crowds i've ever seen like these kids were i i thought like i was watching a crematory vhs live video like i literally there's kids flying on the thing screaming they know the, the lyrics they know the solo gesticulations yeah, yeah and we were like dude what the fuck? this is the most young people i've ever seen at a show and i think yeah. It's because, at least for the pandemic year type of thing, a kid who was too young to go to any college or twenty-one and up shows, you know,
2: now he's sixteen. Two
1: years basically to catch up, and then yep. now all these kids can go to shows. And then in places like Europe, where there's a lot more common uh, eighteen and up shows, you know, you just have to get the the X or the, yeah, the, yep. the bracelet or whatever. All those kids would have been sixteen or fifteen, which is like you can't go to an eighteen and up show. Yeah, yeah. But now all these kids who have spent the last 5 years just absorb or i guess you know 3 calendar years but 5 cultural years of absorbing demos instagram b- accounts that only post old bands and like all this type of media for the old school now these kids can finally go to the show and some of them have jobs they can buy the merch they don't have to like ask yeah, yeah. their parents much whatever and so this the scene i think just in the past 3 to 5 years has like tripled you know mm. just because of the demographics that are that are able and some of the old dudes still are like, you know, we we uh we run with a lot of the kind of OGs in the yeah, in the yeah. death scenes, and a lot of them we met yeah. in our old bands or crossing paths on tour or whatever, and or uh, someone like Nikos, you know, and a perfect example yeah, actually, he, he started from the from the top of where he was doing sound and production for more mainstream stuff, yeah, and yeah. then he'd go on and get more more underground stuff. So he's seen how the whole thing works, and a lot of these dudes who've been there for forty years. Or 30 years are like they understand what we're doing like especially yeah, yeah. we're gonna do we're gonna do another tour with immolation soon and like those guys really get it because they were there the first time and yeah. you know they're listening to fucking defeated sanity and tori amos back but to back in the band. you know it's so, very
2: it's very important because these are one of the reasons why for example cannibal corpse remains where they are because they always had younger bands to introduce younger people to this older sound hang on a second i'm gonna have to press pause
1: oh yeah we gotta reboot
2: Recording in progress. Mm I Yeah, I
0: think the thing... Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my
1: upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news?
0: you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com/slash host.
2: But, um, all right, yeah. I think the thing is that you're in a kind of a good position because certainly Blood Incantation is one of those bands that is bringing out young people. I'm not so sure, for example, if the same kind of crowd is going to show up if it's Crisian and hate Eternal or something you know what i mean yeah yeah
1: but we would love that we just played with those guys in Poland a little while ago and we were like this is this is a tour that should happen they're like yeah. you know come to brazil we're like hell yeah Are you guys going to be our bodyguards you know yeah. <laughs> but, but
2: the thing about it is like um i think the i've noticed at least um pre pandemic i mean at least pomodoro wasn't quite 30 years in existence and we weren't that old we we're nearer to 40 and you know you can see as we've played this last year people are getting older and you're wondering where is the influx of young people coming into this particular scene and it takes a couple of bands to sort of come up at say in a you know generation below us or below us again to regenerate that kind of scene and i'm not sure that that's exactly happening for what you would call Pagan black metal or something like this
1: well uh incidentally i used to be in a band uh, i discovered primordial from a band called velnius oh yeah, yeah. I, yeah okay yeah, yeah yeah and those guys they played kind of the, uh, you know opethy primordial the kind of folky stuff and i yeah. i was in like, a folky black metal band at the time called leech from oregon okay and um, it was like way more like right it was like Ill and wolves in the throne room style oh, okay it was, right yeah, yeah. it's it really raw but do me as well lots of acoustics and stuff but uh, I joined the only because leech was uh, disintegrating and they were like you got to check out you know opeth or whatever and I was like dude we both like enslaved you know we both like hmm. uh, kind of like progressive you know pagan stuff you know yeah. camp far we actually did a couple tours with camp Far. oh yeah and okay. they showed me um actually I still got it over here it's uh storm before calm oh
2: yeah that's uh, 20 one of my years favorite
1: ago, yeah. actually, great great record uh and Spirit of the Earth of Flame, uh, and I think I had another one, actually. But I only discovered this this Primordial because because of these guys. We're like, this is what we want to do. And when I was in this band, I thought we were really making some moves. I quit the band about 10 years ago. They're still yeah. going. They just, they just yeah. put out a new album, um, and it's more in that direction. But I, I was definitely ex- kind of expecting that to be a bridge directly to the older like Agaloc, Primordial, Enslaved, Opeth type of generations. But I don't think there's too many bands out there that sound like Velnius. Um, Yeah, I mean,
2: mean, it's not that that gigs are, you know, only, you know, people over 40 or something like that. But there are some scenes that are really in need of a little bit of a kick in the ass of reinvention. And um, I think you're in a kind of, a sort of prime position there to sort of move some of those younger kids into as we say listening to emulation or you know coming out um to see some of those older bands i'm not sure what that move is right now for bringing out younger people to pagan black metal whatever you want to call it but i sense that there's have
1: there's you heard less... isaac's band
2: yeah. hmm?
1: that the uh isaac the blood and condition drummer he's in wayfarer
2: oh wayfarer yeah it's of course yeah, same, I know wayfarer. But yeah yeah but
1: they're they're you know they're, they're making moves in the kind of folky mm. like black medley area and i think they're actually coming over pretty soon they're playing like roadburn or something yeah they're playing Roadburn. maybe i shouldn't say that right now i don't know (laughs) i don't know if it's been announced but allegedly i heard that they could be theoretically potentially playing it at some point
2: allegedly yeah well um yeah i I could (laughs) well some things i could say but i'll I'll leave it to uh, another time tell me this though the divisive artwork on um which you know kind of had me curious and kind of like you know um love hating it at the same time what's going on with the lyrical concept then
1: uh so i write the lyrics um and the yeah so i have to go on a bit of a spiel here because each each lyric of each release expands on a central theme which has been trickled down uh which you can allegorically view through the demo interdimensional extinction okay. uh it's black and white right total monochromatic except for minimal red accents and inside the booklet it's all black and white but there's like a red trim on the folder or like a, you know, a red font somewhere just you know whatever but it's monochromatic with the red accent okay the next album star spawn is full color out of the out of the gate it goes from black and white to full color kind of like the old old death metal ones and then the it's full color with like yellow and purple accents and uh then we had planned to go like blessed are the sick and introduce green into the palette for the second album which is why we did hidden history with the green logo Mm. you know slime lava stuff and then uh it has you know this whole color palette is kind of spread out now and as each release gets more colorful and the imagery becomes more vivid and dynamic so the lyrics expand from they the demo style lyrics are basically the the most death metal i could write where it's like i you know i can't write i'm not going to write the lyrics it's just not my personality um, yeah. it's not my interest to do because other people are already doing this and so what i was always interested in um like formulas era Trey lyrics uh Luc may in particular um yeah. obscure lyrics um and this band like Athia Flame from Czech where they have songs about like forgiveness like one of the songs is called like an old man and a child about walking through the gardens of Maat and stuff like that and you know learning to forgive and channel your like asking questions like this French band Superation like you know I need oh, to find my, yeah. My, yeah and I need to find my soul I need to escape from my own consciousness that stuff's always been really down down my alley and so the first demo lyrics are are like you know there's dead stuff You're in space it's like this weird cryptic void type of thing um and star spawn lyrics take the, the the crypticness and expand it to like a more metaphysical esotericism where it's like it's talking you know, i have a lot of lyrics influenced by the tibetan book of the dead or people like alan watson and terence mckenna and like what is consciousness con- um uh, matter animated by consciousness which came first the universe or the you know all this all this type of stuff um, but I don't like to do it in a sci-fi or academic way. I always try to go artistic, let the person, uh, the the listener interpret it of their own subjectivity. And I just want to make a lyrical content that allows a person to well first be like, what the fuck is this guy talking about? But then with the lyrics and the imagery, like there's like this crazy space part and this weird imagery, like... Uh, I don't know if you've seen the vinyl version of Hidden History, but it has this crazy booklet. And like the Ooh, booklet there, is yeah. all these like 70s clippings and like New Age editorials spliced yeah. together like a conspiracy booklet or like a New Age cult pamphlet or something like that. And so I'm trying to get the listener or the reader specifically to contemplate their own consciousness, wonder about like, who am I? What does it mean to be? What is nature? What is reality? What is all this stuff doing? What are psychedelics? What is civilization? What is history? What am I? What is going on here? And unlike um I can't really say other bands, but other aspects of media and culture that try to say it's this or that it's this way, this is what you need to hear, all the stuff. I'm just yep. being like, what is this? I don't know. Do you know? I think this is interesting. Here's the re- there's, a, there's a book list referenced in Hidden Histories booklet. And there's a, you know, because it's The modern age we have to be like hey we don't subscribe to any of this stuff we're not telling you to believe any of this stuff we're just saying we think it's interesting do you think it's interesting if you don't it's fine if you do you know maybe if we were to be like like and subscribe let us know in the comments people would not try to say we're telling people what to think but we're just opening this conversation to be like what does it mean and then asking these questions right there's a lot of questions buzzing around in your dome and this music is really intense and aggressive and spastic and dynamic and so that's why the next one, Time Wave, is totally empty. There's no lyrics. There's no long descriptive song titles like we we do the Carcass thing where we label the song titles with more esoteric names to try to reinforce the concepts of the lyrics. And we have long songs. We have all this really st- stuff, right? But Time Wave is the abstraction of all of that. It's opening it up to be like now all you have is two very simple names and a very long subtle journey that if you don't want to pay attention to don't worry about it totally fine but if you go into Time Wave with this uh, mindset it can be a lot more than just a record to listen to i people write to us all the time about how the space that it opens for their their brain like it, for a band that's so stimulating we have so many fast parts and all this stuff to finally be in the same band's environment But with all that open space, people reflect on their life. They reflect on their own mortality. They reflect on their humanity and their own consciousness. And they ask more questions than we were asking them with hidden history in the absence of all this linear information. And so the next album, ideally, um, is going to be the integration of these two ideas where it's like the total uh, intensity stimuli and then the total open space ambiguity. And we're going to try to integrate it for people to even more be like, what what is happening on earth what is consciousness what is mystery what is 10,000 years ago what's 50,000 years ago yeah. what happens you know
2: i think it's kind of interesting because it it seems from the um outside at least well maybe not the outside but it seems like you've hit upon a kind of like an untapped vein within death metal or a bit of a sort of cultural zeitgeist of people who i think death metal never really kind of went into some of those things in such a way, especially for such a kind of newer band to hook in younger people without the usual, as we as would we would like, the usual old school tropes of satanic death metal and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. The fact that Which
1: it, I still think is cool. You know, yeah, I, totally. I, think, I think it has its place. It's just okay. not, of course, you know, my, my truth in the universe is is like I would be posing if I went out yeah, and sure. was like, here's my satanic death metal band, you know?
2: Sure. But what I mean is like, is that they, is that you've sort of hit, at a certain time when I think that there's, um, I think there's always been people, of course, who are interested in that kind of thing, but it seems to be because so much of modern society is pushing people into trying to make some sort of, you know, ill-informed binary choices, that there are more and more people who are, you know, as you say, feeling lost or wondering about their place within all of this. And so in a kind of micro cultural zeitgeist, something like what you're doing is connecting with people who maybe wouldn't, who wouldn't be connecting with the traditional tropes of death metal because they're kind of going oh here's something a little bit different here's something I think, is- I think
1: that's probably true man and I think that's rather astute honestly um I think uh that's not something people really take into the, take into the picture when they're when they're contemplating why this band sells however many records or tickets and stuff like that but I definitely think I, I actually we just did a tour last uh, September uh with our friends in Full of Hell um oh yeah, and one of the things we were talking about is we have a huge mutual demographic of fans of isolated or marginalized individuals who don't fit into a lot of tropes of many genres, not just yeah. death metal and stuff like that, whether it's you know they, yeah. the hip-hop they like or the grind they like or whatever and creating an uh, a, a type of art that is, it's inclusive to a lot of people but at the same time it's kind of like you you, it's like a love it or hate it thing it's like if a person doesn't want to entertain those questions or or worry about any of that they're probably not going to get something out of blood and condition and a lot of people a lot of our fans who only like the brutal stuff which is totally fine that's why we you know we make a whole bunch Mm. um But they're the type that might skip over the interlude on Star Spawn or skip over the end of the track at Hidden History at the last song. And and they only want to hear something like Slate Species of the Gods, which is brutal, brutal, brutal. You know what I mean? It's fine.
2: Um,
1: We got more of that coming down the pipeline, but we also got more abstract, progressive type of stuff. Um, The next next album, I think, is really where people are going to see Blood Incantation flex its muscles and be like... Now, now that we've got your attention, you know, first we get your attention riled up with the hype of Starspawn Hidden History. Then we mic drop your attention with the ambient record. And now whatever we did, it could be the shittiest album of all time. It could be an album of fart sounds. It could be the best record ever. But whatever we do from now on is going to be so scrutinized and it's going to be all this attention to it. And so we're just going to take that opportunity to deliver something that we think is, you know, if we had dropped an album, Like one we wouldn't have been able to make it because our our palette wasn't as refined and expanded we couldn't actually physically make the music we're currently writing right now. um, Before but if we had dropped something like that 5 years ago it would have fallen on deaf ears because the scene the 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 story of the people following our band as well as the greater echelon of the scene and this new zeitgeist happening it would have been a missed opportunity so now that we're building all this stuff up and even if people are going to hate whatever we do forever because we did an ambient record or because we're you know popular on the internet or something it's like this next album is going to be i think everything that a real blood incantation fan would be looking for. It's going to be brutal. It's going to be progressive. It's going to be abstract. It's going to be technical. It's going to be atmospheric. It's going to be psychotic. It's also going to be really, really brutal. It's going to be as as much more aggressive and atmospheric as hidden history was to star spawn. This will be to hidden history as well. And um, I think that the young people I think they're gonna be really excited because, you know, they like uh eccentric spastic stuff, you know. Yeah, I mean?
2: there's I I I mean full of hell could have been also a band I could have mentioned in the same breath as my earlier appraisal of, you know, the eternal champions or the power trips or whatever. They probably would have been in that grind kind of area, appealing to kind of the kind of <clears throat> it's a it's an odd thing. It's kind of appealing to the um in crowd in the sort of outsider status, you know. I mean I've watched Yeah,
1: in crowd and the outsider status. I like that. I've watched
2: uh, Full of Hell with friends of mine who I've known since 90, dudes who like DRI and they're like, oh, this is fucking brilliant it reminds me of like Horrified Repulsion mixed with. And I go, yeah, yeah. Then there's a dude standing next to them who would never know Repulsion Horrified or Grind or whatever, you know. But I think it's a sort of growth. i I trying to put my finger on it, like, and that's kind of what I would think about it, is that this sort of cultural zeitgeist of people who are, um looking for something slightly left of field but within certain parameters of the you know as we say the 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 traditional as well but you're in a a kind of a relatively unique position to be able to assess that like even down to the bands the 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 colors as you say on the records or the kind of image of no image so to speak you know i'm watching a video of you all wearing white death metal t-shirts and it's well, like we do that
1: because yeah. one i've always liked white shirts you know altars amandas yeah. recorded in white shirts Nihilists always wore yeah yeah, exactly shirts. in the 80s the black shirt costs more it still does yeah like most like the, the one you're wearing most of the band's first shirts were white because it was yeah. the cheapest option you know
2: exactly so mm-hmm. what i'm saying is it has its roots in something traditional but yet at the same time for some 18 year old kid they're like they want that red and green blood incantation long sleeve shirt
1: they do. In we sell it. a lot less of the white ones. I will say though, we sell more white shirts now than we when we first started touring. Yeah. I would like to think we're we're helping to because you know part of it is like you know a, a good example is is uh chuck from death wearing a blondie t-shirt or like yeah. the white shirt because it's 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 antagonistic towards people who are like oh, I, I don't see. wear white i can only wear a black shirt yeah. you know, it's like oh wow you're so metal that the color of the fabric you're wearing is going to invalidate your entire worldview <laughs> well wow. i asked mm-hmm. i
2: asked nikos to steal me a white one and he says he didn't have any so
1: but ah, well, uh, because they, we, they, they, you know, uh, when it comes down to the bottom dollar, it's always a uh, but I will shit. say this
2: I did see death in 1992, and Chuck was wearing that very same blondie t shirt,
1: hell yeah, on the stage,
2: yeah, and he's still like, oh, what, you know, it was, it was a very, very weird gig. They were supposed to play two gigs in Dublin, uh saturday and sunday i think and sunday was cancelled for poor sales but of course saturday was sold out it was about 500 550 500 maybe but everybody on sunday was just allowed in like the security was really dodgy so it was just totally oversold first um first song a kid jumped off the speaker like the top at pa bin went straight through the floor broke his legs right in front of us and then there was security in the crowd fucking hitting people and holding themselves around the hole in the floor. Death played, they arrived late, they only played eight songs there with Loud Blast. And Chuck Mm. just literally stood and played and barely looked and talked to the crowd at all. It was very weird. And and it it wasn't the kind of place where you would come out and hang out. It was a no alcohol venue. And he came out and hung out with a bunch of us afterwards. And I remember he was there. When he died, I was asked for some comments on, oh, did you ever meet him? And I said, yeah, I met him when I was 17. And he was the rudest uh, person I ever met in any Death Bell <laughs> band. And I'd met Glenn Benton and David Vincent and I was like, they were way cooler. He just he told a girl to change her tampon when she said, Why didn't you play a longer set? And we were just like, Wow. Oh, fuck. We were like he was like, Bitch, change your tampon. And we were like, Fuck. But anyway, yeah, that's my They were good, of course. I mean, it was Sean Reinhardt, Paul Masvidal and I think Scott Carino on the bass, maybe. It wasn't think, yeah. Giorgio, so it was human. Oh yeah, yeah so anyway there you go there's a little death aside but yeah the shirts oh, yeah. thing i mean i have a couple of really prized old death metal shirts from around that sort of 89 to 92 period that are that were white ones and then you know like sadist ones and stuff like that in a death yeah. a red logo somewhere you know but
1: they look cool you know and also like for me i got a red guitar which hmm. uh, or yeah. sometimes a black guitar but if you're wearing a black shirt with a black guitar yeah and a black photo it's all blurry it's just a, whatever but yeah. if you got the white shirt the guitar is like it's like showing you this yeah. is the guitar you know what i mean mm. and it's, like, such
2: a, it's just such a small little detail but it's sort of i think it really helps and affects the bands um small elements of standing out especially for younger people do you know what i mean these are the things that they that resonate yeah, yeah. with them visually you know
1: well i mean in a in a subculture of predominantly black clothes who normal people are like oh are you goth because you have a black t-shirt or whatever yeah, yeah. um you know people defy i'm friends with people who define their personality on i don't wear white i'm like okay man it's fine like what <laughs> did a white weird ever do to you but autism okay. madness was recorded in a white terrorizer sleeveless yeah, there you go it's fine you know what i mean
2: so let me ask you this and um, we we're talking about it only yesterday and I'm, I'm not gonna you know what did you think then Because I was thinking about the sort of relative cultural zeitgeist, when it's distilled down to be interested in this sort of where we came from narrative, seems to be sort of exemplified in the sort of ancient apocalypse, Netflix, Graham Hancock kind of thing, which is part of that sort of Joe Roganism or whatever you want to call it. Did you watch it or what did you think of it?
1: Uh, I like Graham Hancock. We've actually sampled him a few times. I think he might be a bit of a sleeper agent. I think anybody once they're on the TV a sufficient duration of time might have uh, a, a skewed agenda. But I I'll absolutely uh, have been personally to uh, you know dozens of megalithic sites mm. around the world. Uh, I've had a lifelong interest in prehistory and uh, in, in hunter gatherer pre-agriculture civilizations. Obviously, Egypt, Sumerian stuff, all this stuff, you know, in the, in Mesopotamia a- and in Europe and stuff like that. Actually, you guys up uh, up up there on the island, you have probably the most interesting stuff. And in then, and in Europe, at least down to uh the Basque region of Spain, even. Mm. And so there was irrefutably advanced pre ice age civilizations, and there was even some, like Graham Hancock talks about, that at the Receding of the last ice age, a couple of things worldwide spring up all of a sudden, and it's simply not feasible for them to have just been like, OK, well, we're hunter gatherers and now we're going to build um, a ziggurat or something. And a lot of these like places like um, in Turkey, in Cappadocia, mm-hmm. in uh, Pumapunku, in Bolivia and these ancient sites. Uh, that the natives would be like yeah the gods made that we don't know it's old it's already old. the pyramids themselves the egyptians don't say we made them only people now say that we made them you know what i mean but you know six thousand years ago they're like that was already there but whatever was happening worldwide whether it's ley lines megalithic structures this is you know some type of information has been lost uh i can't comment because i'm not an anthropologist or, or or scientist i can't comment on how concerted an effort might be to maintain It being lost in the modern age, but worldwide, especially in in these huge sites that predate what we know as civilization itself, you know, and all over the world, you know, North America, South America, (laughs) Europe, Africa, Asia, Australia, you know, all over, man. And as we're going to find out Antarctica, but we can we'll get into that another one, but basically. I've always been fascinated by this. And it's it's like Graham says, we're a species with amnesia. And I think that's very real because also humans in general have a short attention span. <laughs> but it's very, imagine if it was like archeology, span for instance, great idea. <clears throat> Most people going out, you know, 400 years ago, 600 years ago, they're digging around and they're finding stuff. They're, they're being paid by the church or the state of whatever nation you're from to go find this information. You bring it back and it's going to be contradictory information to your established narrative as to why you're in charge or why your religion is the one or why your government is the one to trust and all these things. And if you and I were out there in, let's say, 1705 and you and I were... uh, uh two irish dudes going down to egypt and we found and they're selling mummies on the street you know what i mean straight up they're just they're just looting this shit, right uh and you, if you found something controversial for instance um a cave in the grand canyon of north america that has like uh aramaic-esque stuff carved into it or hieroglyphic-esque stuff you know not the right not not 100 percent, not somebody on a pyramid wrote these hieroglyphs you know but somebody had seen them or somebody trying to replicate them or there's some type of transcontinental connection between these two cultures and if we brought that information back to our boss at the church or the vatican or whatever they'd be like put that downstairs go back out find something else they wouldn't they wouldn't really be prioritizing finding stuff that says well maybe this is older or maybe this was not for instance the in that Graham Hancock series, he talks about um Kuyu in Turkey, these underground caverns that go for like five kilometers square and go down like eight stories. You know, they could hold something like 20,000 people, you know, Um, that's certainly not something you would do casually. And then he goes, I actually hadn't even heard of these other ones. He, he has these uh, other sites in Turkey around Cappadocia that have. Uh, connected tunnels that run a straight line that's five miles as the crow flies but a 17 mile on land journey and let's say if it was just because of the ice age you, you can't go upstairs or you can't go to the surface because you'll die or you can't traverse the landscape as fine so you connect these things but some type of you know, pre-cataclysmic civilization was subsisting at the very bottom level of its former glory and trying to retain knowledge over generations. Um, I'm going to get a little sidetracked here, but a perfect example of this is like in a sci-fi story of an Earth ship. And like imagine a derelict spacecraft in space that is so large, it's designed to make a journey for a 100 years or something. And be self-sustaining it recycles the air it's got like a big biodome inside right like big Earth ship floating through space um there's this tv show called the orville where they come across one of these and the people on it are like you know scared puritans they think that these people are aliens and they worship some god and all this stuff but the whole thing is inside of a spacecraft that was designed 500 or a thousand years ago to save these people from their planet that was going to be obliterated by another star system and so they go into space in this ship hoping to find anybody. They didn't know that there was a whole universe waiting and you know, all these things. But over time, three or four generations living inside this Earth ship, only five or 10 people are going to really know that the person who built this ship is the one that now all these people say, oh, that's the God we worship or whatever. He's the guy who made the universe. But it's like, you don't live in the universe. You live in a spacecraft and your spaceship is adrift. You don't have any gas and we're here to help you. Imagine, hypothetically speaking, if Earth itself was some a similarly large like the first boston album cover right with the big spacecraft <laughs> you know what i mean okay. imagine if earth was one of these things and somebody came here and said what's up earth um your ship has been adrift for millennia wow, we're gonna help you you know people would go ape shit. they would lose their minds there'd be riots in the streets they'd be burning and they'd be like this is of course yeah. you know, apocalyptic false demon like all this all this shit." you know and i think it's pretty easy to forget the true scope of human history that which is unwritten you know what I mean? We've got tens of thousands of years of information around the world. And then there's these gray areas like the Ice Age and then these, you know, pole shifts and things that actually happen and shifts the hemispheres and, and stuff like that. And like, what would America do or what would what would the world do if they go to Antarctica and they find a Darren Kuyu or a Pumapunku or a Palenque or one of these things under the ice? You
2: know? Yeah, I mean, the problem, I mean. You know, you said a lot there to unpack. Um, Sorry. I, I mean, no, no, it's good um, because often people complain that I talk too much over people <laughs> in my podcast, you know. But, the, the well, what I find really interesting is that it's important that Hancock exists. And I'm not an archaeologist, and I have archaeologist friends who've picked apart very heavily what he said. The, the, the problem that I have um, is that it requires leap, a leaps of faith, like the God of quite the
1: gaps. Few, yeah. quite, the quite, of, quite a few, yeah, quite a The sort of
2: God of the gaps principle, which, which we fill in what we don't know with um, leaps of faith that I'm not really either qualified to investigate properly through lack of knowledge or my inbuilt cynical, pessimistic, whatever you want to call it, nature kind of goes, it makes a judgment more on the character of Hancock who I find sometimes has a little, shall we say, lack of hubris, maybe, or something like this. And I go, what are you, um, I, I don't quite believe all the parts, of you know, the moving parts. And then you've got, when I watched Ancient Apocalypse, I thought, okay, you've got me first couple. Then I was like a few, like, not convinced by this episode, I'm not convinced by the, um, you know, the, the sort of below ground models and that kind of stuff. I was like, how is this working? And... Uh, what do they call this the younger driest period or whatever that is and as people began to explain things to me and i was kind of going okay so why are we saying a pre pre-flood civilization uh, you know technical civilization um exists in fragments afterwards but manages to traverse the world imparting knowledge in language i think that's where he's wrong
1: for. i think that like this idea yeah. of where he's like i think, oh, I on, think that's this, wrong you know, as well yeah, but i think that the the simple answer is that civilization as an idea is long is older than we know and that what we're looking at the last ten thousand years uh after the recession of the previous ice age is these fragments were not connected by people going to and fro Mm -hmm. like all you know people from bolivia and people in ireland and people in india and people in tibet but whatever state of the world civilization there was prior
2: yeah
1: group just like today there's people who live here there's this civilization this group all this stuff that when it's all blanketed and everything is you know because at least in north america during the ice age the ice sheet came down to like half of the continent you know almost came down to like colorado and you know the whole the whole pacific northwest and you know the middle of the country being all flat is because of this giant glaciers pushing all this out Yeah, yeah
2: yeah
1: but you know you can find here in Colorado, you can go up to the mountains, you know, two miles above sea level, and you can find uh, fossils of, um, you know, sea urchins and shit in the rock, you know, yes, this upheaval is contributing to the displacement of whatever these antediluvian peoples were, and it's not that they were moving actively between these places they were isolated like imagine you know the 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 thing i think about as a reference is like let's say you and i are space travelers right it's you and me and six other people on our right and we got a thing you know let's say one person is the military operation supervisor one person's the pilot you got this person who's a doctor you got this person who's an anthropologist this person who's a chemist or a botanist whatever each person has a job yeah. And so in these ancient texts like the Book of Enoch or the Srimad Bhagavatam or books where Muhammad or goes into space and gets taken to the end of the world and shown the four corners of the earth and all this crazy stuff, um, these guys all have names. They all have jobs and they're not like mystical beings or creatures or deities or things like that. They're they're just human flesh and bone people, uh, <laughs> like in 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 western terms like these archangels you know like like samuel Raphael, michael all these guys uh they were just at work and it's like the movie stargate basically imagine if you got stuck someplace and there's 12 of you and all you've got is the shirt on your back a tricorder and some fucking food you know what i mean maybe a gun and then you're landing anywhere and there's let's say an indigenous culture or a civilization there and You have to try to intermingle like straight out of Star Trek. You're like, you got to blend in. Maybe I have to like hide my Spock ears or put on a fake mole or something to kind of blend in with the locals. And the whole thing, like in Star Trek with the Prime Directive where they're not allowed to interact. I'm sure there was something like that happening where humans um, were, you know, personally, not a scientist. Personally, I don't believe that Earth is the only place with intelligent life. Just never have. Um, And so I think that the likelihood of humans, a humanoid, like bilateral symmetry, like the Vitruvian image of man, like this is a natural biological form. um, And the universe finding a way to make humans on another planet is pretty normal to me. But I understand that's a very crazy perspective and I can't stop that as being factual. However, hypothetically speaking, we're spacemen and we're from planet Earth 2 or whatever. And we come over here. It's not very far. It could be Mars even. And let's say that whatever cataclysm could have happened on Mars, maybe we did it ourselves. Maybe it's just like Earth. Maybe it was a nuclear fallout. Maybe I don't know. Maybe it was a combination of an ice age and a nuclear fallout. Maybe a nuclear fallout triggered the ice age. I don't know. But let's say we jettison from our escape pod on Mars, land on Earth. We're gonna be here with our twelve people. We're stuck. You know what I mean? And like that's what I think happened in um, like ancient Sumer and Iraq, with where this these babylonian akkadian civilizations were raised up around like these eight or 12 names like Enlil and Inki, and these sumerian gods that you know they have like we have shirts of them these anunnaki dudes we have shirts for for blood and condition, and they're human that's the thing these aren't aliens and i think the trippiest thing for people would be to if they landed on another planet and a human answered the door everyone wants there to be little green men or some crazy alien monster from a movie but if there was a human someplace else that would be scarier to i think for humans to interact with than seeing something like out of a John Carpenter film. And if there was humans of a varying level of technological sophistication, it would be just like on Earth where, for instance, in World War Two with these cargo cults, (laughs) where in French Polynesia, these guys would land with, with with the airplanes for supplies for people in the Pacific theater. And then the indigenous tribes started making mock airplanes, trying to be like, wait, come back, sky people bring food again. That was great. And humans on this planet prove time and time again, that's how we react to uh, sufficiently advanced technology. And I think that if it happened to us even today, it would still be the same. They would be like half the country would be like these are aliens and half of them would be like these are demons. You know what I mean? Like this is all this is all God playing tricks on me or whatever. But it could, well, couldn't it just be that the universe in its unspecialness and unhuman prioritizing randomness um, seeks Uh, stability seeks chaos the you know the the nature trying to find a way you know uh, trees breaking through concrete and then just you know all the things about how if you look up far enough away it looks like it's a little fractal it's like you can see the patterns of the leaves going out and couldn't it just be simple enough that the universe itself is like a bioorganism and then it's not uh some special earth planet with all this mystery and then maybe we're not just with amnesia, but were just like a colony that got lot left behind or maybe was accidentally started by a crashed ship of 12 people who were especially um, adept at, at technology or, or math or, or arithmetic or astronomy. And then that's why they taught these people whatever they did. And that's why astronomy was so important to whether the Mayans or the Sumerians or, you know, the Tibetans and, and or the Druids, all these types of people right and it could be that it's not some mystical special thing about earth or humans or human life or consciousness or anything it's just that we're over here on our version of this island and that there's other stuff happening everywhere else and it's not like every planet has hulu and banks you know what i mean but it could be like you know my favorite thing about the star trek series is that they good. they go to different planets each time through different stargates and they have no idea incidentally i will tell you though the stargate um movie and series is uh, set in norad the facility in colorado springs colorado where matt calvert from dark descent records worked for 21 years with classified security uh, clearance uh,
2: so okay and i'm forgetting to see what's happening here
1: check this out so incidentally in 1899 nikola tesla's laboratory in colorado springs mm-hmm. made international headlines for shutting out the power of the entire city From that he disabled the power grid with his experiments at his lab the government repossessed his lab in 1900 and he went back to new york totally broke but it's just interesting i'm not saying there's a correlation it's just interesting that in this this small town in the middle of nowhere this genius who claims to be from receiving information from other intelligences himself um, you know this guy's entire life work was repossessed by the government in the same small town in the middle of nowhere, where the North American research and air defense facility with two hours of security checkpoints driving inside the mountain happens to be built. And I'm just saying, so, and yeah. this, it happens yeah. to be, I know for a fact that Matt can't <laughs> talk about this. And if he was here now, he'd be like, Paul, shut up. But <laughs> he can't talk about it because his whole house is bugged because he's got security clearance that is sufficient to make a texas border patrol agent turn white when he gets pulled over going to destroying uh destroying texas fest in 2011. This big macho dude's like ah, give me your fucking money or whatever and he's just like i gotta go man and the dude's like sorry sir and he's retired and this yeah, border yeah. Patrol know, is yeah. like my bad my bad never go on so he can't talk about it at all but a silly band with a sci-fi silly metaphysical conspiracy theory lyrical company. <laughs> they can say whatever they want and he can put it out and he and he gets paid no matter what so it's like he doesn't have any danger to himself and his family and we're not espousing anything factual or trying to say this is the way it is or like this is what we believe it is what you should believe we're just out there being like hey man you know you're gonna tell me that fractal humanoid dimensions isn't a cool solo title come on just roll with it you know what i mean So. <laughs>
2: That sir is an almost perfect ending. Just an incredible monologue. <laughs> um, I so I'm I'm trying to decode your message there. It'll take me a while and we might have to do another part um uh, you know at some other stage, but I think what you're trying to tell me is that you're trying to reach out to us from the other side and I think so. impart yeah. some knowledge to us. I think so.
1: I think I just I just want to say I've seen things that can't be explained by normal life and i wasn't on drugs and uh, i've had experiences with uh people that i instinctively instantly knew were not just regular people and i've seen things with my own two eyes totally sober uh that i can't explain and i've had a lifelong impulse to to
0: ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row